it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for a Monday afternoon Colch Narrow chat. I'm Jeremy, joined by a very special first-time guest. ESPN's Mark Donaldson is on the show today. How are you, Mark? Jeremy, thank you for having me. How are you? Fantastic. I'm delighted we could make this work. Uh, for those of you who don't know or, or aren't familiar, Mark calls La Liga games for ESPN here in North America. I have heard his... Uh, commentary many times especially in the last year as ESPN and La Liga clinched a deal uh, to start broadcasting the league here in, in North America and Mark I, I gotta say you had the opportunity to call some really memorable games last year especially that Hetafe game at the Metropolitano when uh, Hermoso's uh, Chilena went in in the 88th minute I can just you went wow you just uh, you went bonkers that was a, that was a special game that yeah was, um back in February and it was around the time where we had no idea what we were going to get from Atletico Madrid because we got that that day and then four days later we also did the game at home to Levante and yeah. Atleti lost by a goal to nil so yeah I mean having commentated on Atleti for over a decade now and we're going to take a trip down memory lane later in this podcast about the, the first Atleti game I did but under Diego Simeone El Cholo there was a time where they were pretty predictable and that they scored and that was it. You mm -hmm. know, it was pretty much three points, not guaranteed, but likely. 
But around that time back in February, that Hitafi game was was sensational. I mean, you think about the sending off of Felipe just before the hour mark, and it was the man that came on to replace him, Hermoso, that got the winner. But that, for me, that game was a, a pretty much a microcosm of, of the Colchoneros' season mm-hmm. last year. Because 2-0 up, this is more like it. This is the Atleti that... That, that won the, the title the season before, 3-2 down within 12 minutes. And it's just like, what? what? This is the Atleti of this season. And then 3-all just before halftime when Correa scored. Like, you're like, this is, we're back on this roller coaster. And it's great as a neutral, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. As an Atleti fan, honestly, if you'd had a heart rate monitor on during that game, it would have peaked and troughed so often. And then the sending off and it's advantage Hetafi and then Hermoso's late winner. That was the that was the perfect game for a commentator to enjoy. Enjoyment, I'm not sure was the right word for you guys and girls as fans. <laughs> no, no, I was tearing my hair out for a good chunk of that game. That was a six goal first half. And then of course Mario Hermoso popping up with the late winner. Like as a broadcaster, as a commentator in that position, Mark. How do you, I guess for lack of a better turn of phrase, how do you keep a lid on it and, and keep doing a professional job? It's got to be difficult not to get, get wrapped up in all the emotions and the, and the roller coaster nature of it, as you said. I don't think we need to keep a lid on it. Hmm. I think when, when, when you've got a late winner, when you've got a last-minute winner and it's, it's 1-0 or, or 2-1, it's great. You can get excited about that. But you've lived that with us as a viewer we have lived that with you as commentator and as analyst. So we've reached that level. We've dropped to that level. We've reached that level again. And then you get something like that. I, I think that's time to blow the lid off. Hmm. When you get something like that, when you get a winner, seven-goal thriller, 10 men against 11, 2-0 up, 3-2 down, back on level terms, six goals in the first half. And, and the other thing is as well, Remembering the second half, you often find when you get so many goals in one half, whether it's all for one team or whether it's split or whatever, it's very rare if that happens in the first half that the second half lives up to to kind of those expectations that the first half has has done. So it was a second half that I don't know if I I don't know if either side really know what they wanted out of the game. They wanted the win, but they they, were, they knew that they were vulnerable defensively. So we didn't see as much attacking play. So there's that kind of... It's not an audible frustration as a commentator, but you're just desperate to reach the heights that the game reached in the first half. So when you get a late winner like that and, and the drama that goes with it, I'm not for keeping the lid on. I'm for blowing the lid right off. I love it. That's great. That's what I was hoping to hear. And you, and you certainly did. I think you had the Valencia game, too, at the Metropolitano, if I recall correctly. Yes, I think I did. I mean, I was fortunate last year, and I did a lot of Atleti games. You did. Um, which I was I was delighted about. As I said, I've been covering them for, for many, many years. And the, the Valencia game... <sighs> The Valencia game with with Musa scoring the opening goal and, and the American theme, and I'm not one of these. Let's let's bang the drum for the American. The American deserves the drum banged if he does something good. We, of course, we pay a little bit more attention, but it's not an American um, like broadcast. Let's forget about Atleti. It's all about Yunus Musa. It was great. He, he scored the opening goal and, and and he played well. But 
we we commentate on the game as a whole, and if the game as a whole brings up certain narratives, and an American goal scorer in La Liga, there's not been that many of them over the years, that that deserves um, the acclaim. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't put it more special than than kind of any other goal, simply because because he's an American. I'm not going to get more excited about Yunus Musa scoring than I was about Hugo Duro scoring, than I was about Matthias Cunha scoring. And then you think, well, that's a good win for, for Valencia. An American has scored in a 2-1 win. And then stoppage time happens. And that Valencia win was not a Valencia win. The Yunus Musa goal was not the opener in a 2-1 win. It was one of five goals in which Correa and Hermoso managed to, to, to get the, the two late goals. So th- this is when it can be fun as a as a commentator. Like commentating is for me. It's it's not a job. It's a hobby. It's 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 always fun. Um, even even sitting through the game between Senegal and the Netherlands in the World Cup, mm. you're rewarded right at the end. It's like okay, okay, you're you're with us for for eighty odd minutes. You deserve something for your uh, for your loyalty to to this game. So there's a couple of late goals. It's it's like. That game had had everything, the Atleti-Valencia game. And then for Correa to score, to make it 2-2, this is when blowing the lid off, um, you've got to be careful as a commentator for your voice. Oh, yeah. Now, Correa scoring to make it 2-2, and the the way it happened very late, and then Hermoso again. It was like he had, within the space of a month, he's got got two dramatic late winners, both at the Metropolitano. And then... Yeah, you, you get excited, um, but it, it's it's about it's situational. It's when it happens. It's what it means. And again, that that's another example of I, of the Atleti I loved to do. And we'll go on to talk about the, the Atleti game that I covered in Spain shortly. I'm sure yeah. against Betis, but very very different. So the biggest takeout away from all of this is over the past 12 months, or this calendar year, Atleti's been consistently inconsistent. Yep. When they've been good, they've been very good. And when they've been bad, they've been horrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And that's that's what we've been trying to figure out on our site and what we've been trying to figure out on social media and try to work through is, is and we can talk about this a little bit later in the show, is this the end of this this golden era under Simeone what changes need to happen next what's the future look like and and we can talk all about that during the flow of this conversation but Mark let's talk a little bit more about you if you're comfortable with it Uh, tell us a little bit about your background how you came to call La Liga for ESPN how long you've been in this business Uh, my first commentary was 1995 so I've been doing it um 27 going into my 28th year wow most of that was done in, in the united kingdom um for radio stations for sky sports uh worked at sky sports news before i came over here commentated for on radio for 25 of those years and i think that's the best way for, for anybody listening that wants to get into the industry yeah i i think radio is is a better way in because I am your eyes and ears. You're in your car, you're in your house, wherever you are, you can't see. I can see for you. So it's up to me to be as descriptive as possible, even down to the colors that the teams are wearing. It sounds daft because most of us 
watch football on TV and we know what they're wearing. But that's how I kind of got into it. So to go from radio to then TV, and I joined ESPN in 2010, it's more about what you don't say because you can now see everything I can see. And I don't like commentators who do radio and TV together um, and they don't have someone uh, from a TV exec perspective saying to them, come on now, this is, this is, you're back on TV now. I know you did your radio in midweek, but you're back on TV now. <laughs> you don't need to say he cuts inside on his left foot and tries a right foot shot. That's a radio call. We can already see that. So TV for, for me, and again, commentary is very subjective. You may not like what I do, or you may like what I do. Someone else might might be entirely the opposite. That's fine. I just want to do the best job possible. But I'm slightly different from others. Less is more for me. Um, I have my stats. I spend hours doing prep for each game. But I only interject them into the commentary when they're applicable. It's not like I've done six hours of prep, so it doesn't matter, Mr. or Mrs. Viewer. You will get every single piece of of research that I've done thrown at you regardless because I've spent the time doing it so you have to listen to it. No, I'm not I'm not going to tell you something that has got absolutely no importance whatsoever about the game that, that, that you're watching. Um, but I know that when Joao Felix gets the equaliser against Espanyol, for example, mm-hmm. there might be something that makes a certain statistic that I have uh, more pertinent. But it's always there. And I'll probably use 10% of the content that, that I have in any given match. That's that's on average. But you know what, Jeremy? The 90% that I don't use is there in case I need to use it. So that's a bit about me, a bit about my background. Um, been doing it since 95. Love what I do. And La Liga on ESPN, year two of, of eight. It, it kind of takes me full circle with, with ESPN because I started broadcasting Serie A, Champions League and La Liga in 2010 Um, but that was for Australia and it was for the international audiences that have ESPN around the world it wasn't for the United States back then until we got the Champions League in 2015 I think it was so Mm. I might not have been heard in the United States but I've still been doing Atleti games and La Liga games and this is now my 12th season uh, doing it and my second season being heard in the United States doing it and and you couldn't imagine doing anything else, right? Like this is, this is like the a, a dream a dream job, right? It, it is. However, a couple of things. Yeah, you can't stand still, mm-hmm. and you can't just have one string to your bow. Uh, I did a baseball show for the UK um, with Major League Baseball for three years, which ended last year. I've done tennis commentary. Um, since 2006 and for ESPN since 2011 I've done all the US Opens do the World Feed, I've done Wimbledon um, and I do golf um, used to do the US Open for ESPN and the Open Championship, we lost those rights and now we have the PGA Championship so I work on them as well so it's it's going to be careful to say being a jack of all trades and a master of none, <laughs> I want to be good enough to be in the conversation to be chosen for 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 certain things the biggest thing i would say to to everybody know what you don't know because yeah. if i'm dipping in and out of golf once or twice a year if i'm dipping into tennis once or twice a year the people who are watching our coverage 
are people who watch it 24-7, 365 days a year. So don't pretend that you know everything. You have someone alongside you who, who is an expert who watch tennis a lot more than you do. you got to remember as well, you, you would think most of the time that the people you hear, the men and women you hear on, on, on television, know pretty much everything they can about that sport. It's not always the case. You know what you need to know, but most importantly, you know what you don't know. And you don't try and pull the wool over someone's eyes. It's like someone commentating on La Liga, who does Atleti three or four times a season. There are, well, probably most Atleti fans watch them, 38 out of 38 times a season. Mm-hmm. You see everything. So don't try and be that person that kind of thinks they know it all. Just know what you don't know, and I think that's important. It is. I agree. Um, uh, that, that's something I, I learned when I was in school. I, mean, I went to journalism school. That's something that I was taught there as well. Uh, beyond the versatility, just it's also very important to know your strengths and know what maybe you need to improve on and, and, mm-hmm. and, and trusting the process. With respect to your process, Mark, how do you, I would imagine that it does change depending on which sport you're covering, you're broadcasting. Um, what, what's your, are, are there certain like commonalities in your day-to-day process just depending on what you're covering and, and when you're covering it? Yeah, look, 90% of what I do is, is, is football. I do ESPN FC during the week. We, yep. um, as part of the pandemic, uh, we all um, had studios um, built or uh, put into our, our homes where possible. So it's, we call it digital. It's not ESPN FC, the show. It's ESPN FC for YouTube and for Facebook and for social media. And they can do numbers that are, they would dwarf some of the viewing figures you would get maybe on the show in the United States. Because a lot of the time what we do is, is generic in that it, it doesn't contain footage. So if we're talking about La Liga, um, or we're talking about Atleti, we're say, say we're talking about Joao Felix and Diego Simeone's relationship. Mm-hmm. If it's um, if it's a social media thing that we're doing, which is normally during the week, which is, is what I do uh, during the week, you keep that to conversation and you keep that to stills as opposed to video. And the minute you put video onto it, it can only be shown in the United States or the territory that you have the rights for, mm. which in this instance is the United States and, and Canada. So to make it more viewable, you put it on social media and it's not it doesn't need to be geo-blocked. It's just two people talking about what's he done now, Felix, and what Simeone said now. And you've got a couple of pictures that are superimposed over the top as full screen graphics. Everybody can watch that. So therefore, it doesn't need to be geo-blocked. So that's pretty much what I do during the week, whether it's La Liga. It depends what the topic is. Um, Messi and Ronaldo feature a lot because they they get numbers, mm-hmm. quite simply. Um, Atleti are the third biggest for us uh, as far as numbers are concerned in, in La Liga, which I don't think is any big surprise. Um, Real Madrid and Barcelona, because it's global. Real Madrid and Barcelona are the, the, the biggest numbers for us when we cover La Liga on digital. Uh, Atleti are, are, are pretty pretty much clear in, uh, in third. Um, they, have a, they have a big following um, all over the world, as you can, can see with um, the members of your group and online with, with what you do. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's something that you, you don't just get Real Madrid fans in Madrid. You don't just get Man United fans in Manchester. We've seen that over the years. 
especially over here in the United States, football is, is truly global now. I'm a Hearts fan sitting in Connecticut wanting to watch my team on a Saturday. You're an Atletico Madrid fan. Um, you're in mountain time. So you've got that slight difficulty of kind of being seven hours mm-hmm. um, behind the UK. What are you? You're eight hours behind Spain. Aren't yeah, you? eight hours. Where, where you're? It's it's not easy. I mean, if you get the the ten a.m. Um, game, I mean, it, well, the, the 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 kind of two p.m. or whatever it would be in Spain. Yeah, trying to deal with those are five and six a.m. kickoffs, Mark. Those are tough. <laughs> exactly, but we're football Ooh. fans. We. We get up. Now, Scotland aren't in the World Cup again, sadly. Um, so am I going to get up to watch Lionel Messi tomorrow at 5 a.m.? Actually, I am, because I'm doing a piece on, on ESPN FC, a, a tactical piece for that. But if it's a game I don't need to watch, I'm not going to be getting up at that time. But if you're a fan or you want to, to watch it or have a reason to watch it, we do it. We're, we're football fans. That's that's what we do. Yep. It's part of the, the experience. It's part of the lifestyle. It's part of what you sign up for. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah. Uh, are are there any Hearts fans back east? That are, are any like, any any, yeah. any fan groups out there, or is it a lonelier yeah, existence? No, it's weird. Suddenly you get someone in New Haven saying you fancy a beer, and we can go and watch the Hearts game this weekend. Like, what? <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's lots of Celtic fans in Boston. I mean, that's that's just crazy. Celtic fans everywhere. Yeah. I always used to joke that you would no matter where you go in the world, if you didn't see a Celtic top at an airport, there was something wrong. You'd always. <laughs> Whatever you went on, a, certainly for us when, when I lived in the United Kingdom until 2010, any time I came over here, I always used to see Celtic tops. And I suppose Celtic's slightly different in the heritage and, and everything like that. There's a number of Rangers fans in, in, the North, in North America as well. As far as jerseys are concerned, um, I think this is an interesting one. I think it's a generational thing because when I grew up, it was it was Liverpool yeah. that were the top dogs, and then it became Manchester United, and then it became kind of Chelsea, and then it was Manchester City and, and others. So you see kids kind of rocking those shirts, and back in the day, they would have their their Ronaldo jerseys on for for Real Madrid, their Messi jerseys for Barcelona, their Kun Aguero jerseys for um, for Atleti. But I think it's it's kind of what's on vogue right now. And when we were down in Seville commentating recently in, in uh, on ESPN for La Liga's España week, it was mainly Betis jerseys. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean there are more of them than there are Sevilla fans, but why would you kind of, unless you're you're a bit of a rascal and you, you want to be someone who's right, just totally defined, <laughs> you, you would wear your Sevilla jersey. Ultimately, Betis is doing better right now yeah. than, um, than Sevilla. So, so that's what we, we saw. 
in Madrid saw just as many um, Atleti jerseys um, as we did Real Madrid. So it's a big following that, that Atleti has, and it, it's great to see it's not just in Spain. It is. It, it, it truly is just seeing the growth of this club from when I started following them about 10 years ago up to now. It, it's a, a rise in global popularity that I couldn't really have foreseen. I, I'm just here for the ride. 2012, 2013, 2014. I'm just here for the ride. Getting to a Champions League final? Sure. Why not? Let's, you know, why not? <laughs> it, was, it was like a dream. Like that, that season in particular was just like a, one long fever dream. Like I can't believe they're doing this. Like this club of all clubs is doing it. Um, talk to me about the first Atleti game you covered, Mark. And it, it, was, it was a while ago. It was. It was. It was at Ria Thor and Deportivo used to be all right. Yeah, um, <laughs> not anymore. 30th of, <laughs> 30th of April 2011. Here is the Atleti team. Yes. Previously beaten Levante on the previous Sunday by four goals to one. It was a 4-3-1-2. David De Gea, the 20-year-old goalkeeper who had spent his entire career at the club since joining at the age of 13, was in goals. Strongly linked with a summer switch to Manchester United. Talks, question mark, said the notes. wonder what ever happened to David De Gea, the 20-year-old Spanish goalkeeper. For yeah, shame he never moved to Man United. Uh, yeah, I wonder what ever happened to him. So David De Gea in goal. Ushvalusi, the Czech right-back slash centre-back with the long hair, mm-hmm. um, played in that game. Um, a guy who I liked, a Colombian, I thought he was hard as nails, Luis Perea. Yeah. Maybe not the best defender in the world, but just solid. Getting towards the kind of tail end of his career, 31 at the time, playing alongside a youngster, Dominguez, just 21, who swapped Real Madrid for Atleti at the age of 12. Um, And he can also play at left-back, Dominguez. That was a central defensive partnership and someone I love to commentate on. Um, A former Deportivo player, Felipe Luis, left-back, the Brazilian. Uh, who was always fun to to uh, to commentate on the three in the middle? Um, I've, I've seen him play right back. I've seen him play right mid. Juan Fran, seen him play on the left hand side. Just a super player to yeah. commentate on. Mario Suarez was kind of the defensive holding midfielder again. Another solid, good good player by the way. I don't know if he got the credit that, that he deserved out with the football club. He was he was a talent, Mario Suarez and Elias played in that game, the Brazilian, wow. um, who maybe didn't quite make the, the same splash as, as other players. Uh, Raul Garcia just loved play, uh, loved watching him, um, the Osasuna boy, um, who moved to uh, to Atleti in 2007. And then <laughs> 22-year-old strikers, both of them, Kun Aguero and Diego Costa. That's, that's a partnership, if I ever heard one. Right. That's both 22 years old. They, they were the front two. Yeah. Um, Aguero had scored 21 goals up to, to that point in all competitions. Uh, Diego Costa had come off the bench more often than, than he'd started, just the seven goals, but got a hat-trick the previous meeting at, um, at Osasuna um, the Sunday before. And that was the front two. The bench was um, Joel, Joel in goal, um, Jose Antonio Reyes, Diego Forlan, the 31-year-old, Antonio Lopez, Alberto Perea, Diego Godin, even got a start that day, although he was a pretty much a mainstay. He would normally partner Luis Perea back in the day. It was Dominguez that started that day. And Thiago, the defensive midfielder. So under the, the watchful eye of um, Dr. House, Kike Sanchez Flores. <laughs> That's right. Coach. 
Yeah, that was that was my first game, and I've done I must have done over a hundred games involving Atleti since. So it's been great to to kind of see how they have evolved because I remember when we used to do Serie A on ESPN, Gregorio Manzano um, was was someone that featured regularly in Serie A. That's the man who Diego Simeone replaced yep. at the turn of the year in 2010-2011. So it's all cyclical, but that's not a bad lineup that Atleti had that day at Deportivo. Not at all. Uh, I, several of those players ended up winning the league just a few years later in Simeone's yep. second full season as coach, just further underscoring the, the incredible job that Simeone did that season. Yeah, that was that was one of QSF's last games in charge. I think he left when that season ended. I think you're right. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. Um, because, um, hold on, that, that would have been, if that is 20, April 2011. Yeah, because El Cholo took over December 2011, yep. didn't he? Two days before Christmas, and, and that was a couple of days after Manzano was sacked. Yes, because Manzano didn't last long at all. He came over, um, and and it just it just didn't work. So, yeah, one of the last full games of um, of Kiki Sanchez Flora is, and it's, there's a little bit of similarity between Serie A and La Liga, and 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 that it's it's kind of they're they're very good to the environment. They do a lot of recycling in both nations, but in coaches rather than anything else because certainly in Italy a lot of the managers that go back to the club that they've been fired from are still on the payroll so it's like well, why, why would we pay anybody else to, to do it and that, that's happened in Spain as well but yeah those those were the days I mean Kiki Sanchez Flores according to these notes took over as coach in October 2009 won the Europa League in 2010 his first trophy um, he'd been at Benfica he was a right back with Valencia began as a coach then at Valencia and and th- those were the days whereby, what was that? So October two thousand and nine through so just under a couple of seasons, you didn't you didn't expect someone when 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 El Cholo took over from from Manzano uh, just before Christmas in, in two thousand and eleven. Can you believe that we're still talking here as we approach Christmas, a month to go until Christmas twenty twenty two, and you've got a coach who's nearly been eleven years in charge? Yeah, can't believe it. Like, this doesn't happen in the modern game anymore, Mark. You know as well as I do that coaches don't have this kind of shelf life anymore. So do you want them to stay? That's the big question. Yeah, we might as well talk about that now, huh? Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm with Simeone to the death. You know, he's the only coach that I've ever known taking over Atletico. Like, I mean, I've I, I've watched games from the pre-Simeone days, several games from the pre-Simeone days. Like, I'm... I've done research and read the history and read about the club what it used what it used to be like way back in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, the first golden generation, up to you know kind of the wilderness years, winning the double, then getting relegated, some more years just in mid table obs- obscurity, and then Simeone comes in. So Simeone is really all that I've ever known, and you know there are concerns about what happens when he does leave. Like the the refrain is that you know the club will sink back into mid table obscurity. I don't know if that's true or not uh this is it's would be unprecedented to lose this coach for not just me but for a lot of atletico supporters who have come into the fold the last five six seven ten years i i i think he should stay if the club gives him a new project if they can build 
a new team and give him young players to mold and kind of shape and, and really kick off the next generation. But I don't know if he has the patience for that, Mark. I, I don't know if he has the patience to do an, another rebuild. It would be his third in about a decade. I don't know. I, it, it might, I think it's time for everyone to just kind of take a step back and say, yeah, we, we've had some great times here, but now it might be time to wrap it up. And it, it pains me to say that. It really truly does because I love Diego Simeone, but all good things come to an end. That's that's the long answer, but that's kind of how I feel about it as we sit here, you know, a month before Christmas. It would be his 11th and 12th, 11th anniversary, I'm sorry, as mm. Atletico's head coach. I remember towards the end of the 2019-2020 season, Atleti finished third, just pipping Sevilla, well clear of Villarreal and the rest. So the Champions League again, but they were 12 points behind Barcelona. And there were, there were one or two that were saying... How is Atleti going to close a gap to, to Barcelona to get second? How are we going to close a gap to City rivals Real Madrid, who, who won the, the league by five points that year? And it was like, has he, has he done everything he can? Is, is it time for Simeone possibly to think about moving on or, or whatever? Look what happened the next year. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was a case of how, not so much how do you teach an old dog new tricks, but how do you get more out of what, we have right now without ripping it up and, and starting it again. He found a way. He found a way. And and look, to be honest, in 2020-21, he probably overachieved. They did. And, and they, they both overachieved. And one of their biggest other strengths was their opponent's weaknesses. And that Real Madrid had issues, Barcelona had issues. Atleti were, were great because not only did they do their own job, but they didn't worry about the issues of the other teams. They just got on with it, and, and they they got the they got the title that that they deserved. Um, but when you overachieve, this is the problem that I've got in my club hearts, and that we came up from the league below because we had financial issues, and we finished third in our first season in back in the top flight. We're normally a third or fourth place team in the top flight, but we'd been down, so we came back up, finished third, played in Europe this year, played Fiorentina, other teams. The problem is, you're now based on the level, the bar that you've recently set. And Atleti setting that bar so high in 21 when they won the league, it's always going to be difficult. So if he's done it before and he's regurgitated, he's recycled, he's found a way, I just think you'd be careful what you wish for. And if you get someone else in, I mean, it's a tough gig to try and eclipse Real Madrid and Barca. He knows how to do it. I think if he leaves the football club, it should be on his terms. Yeah, if absolutely. he decides he's had enough, not if Real, uh, if uh, Atleti decides he's had enough. That's just a personal opinion. Oh, I absolutely agree. He has earned, he has more than enough credit in the bank to do that. He has earned the right to walk away when he feels the the time is right. Something that we talk about a lot on our site, rather, is that Simeone has kind of become a victim of his own success. That was true years <laughs> ago, and Atletico continued to achieve, if not overachieve, Despite that, um, winning winning the league in, in 2020, 2021 during the pandemic season, which, which I personally think is maybe the most difficult title since the Civil War. Um, no fans in the stands that entire year. Uh, clubs just shot financially. Uh, that was a tremendous achievement. Um, but we, we've seen in the two seasons since then, Atletico failed to replicate 
that form formula for a variety of reasons. And, and you can talk about it from a variety of different vantage points, whether the recruitment hasn't been good enough, whether the coaching hasn't been good enough, the players haven't been healthy enough or good enough. There are a lot of things that go into it. And it's a, something we commonly hear on social media, which I have, have fought back against in the past, but I'm too tired to do so now, is that everything is Simeone's fault. Everything is down to... Uh, Cholo's idea of football and the disappearance of Cholismo and I mean I don't have really time for those arguments anymore I'd, I'd much rather have debates and conversations like this one that we are having right now Mark is that Simeone has more than earned the right to walk away on under his his own terms under his own power and sadly for better or worse I, I think we are approaching that time this season has been uh, the the Champions League elimination, at least, that was a, a disaster. And, and you and I both attended Champions League group games. You were at the Metropolitano yeah. for the Club Bruges game. I was there for the Leverkusen game. Atletico did not win either of those games. Uh, tell me about your Metropolitano experience during that Champions League game. How tense it, how tense it back was. Back to the city centre. Yeah, yeah it really Set is. For a start. Goodness gracious me, that, uh, that was longer than a... Uh, we ended up getting back eventually. I wanted to watch Rangers against Liverpool or Barcelona against Inter uh, on the same evening. And uh, yeah, wow, that, that took a while. The Super Stadium, uh, and, and I'll, I'll be honest here, this isn't because I'm, I'm sat here, I've, I've said it on air. Um, so it's not like I'm saying something just to to appease you for inviting me on your podcast. <laughs> ha- having attended the classical uh, four days later, on the Sunday after Atleti played on the Wednesday, the atmosphere at the Civitas Metropolitano was, was twice as good. Mm. It, and it was helped by a decent number of, of drunk Belgians, which every party needs drunk Belgians, <laughs> um, was was with them in the plaza in the afternoon, um, drinking with them and enjoying their company. Wonderful. And they travelled en masse, and they were up there behind the goal, and they made a, a, a decent noise, but... Ultimately, it was all about Atleti and the, the backing from their fans and the noise, and it was it was constant and it was it, it wasn't desperation. Some of the defending from from Bruges was a bit desperate, but they're not a bad side. But that's a game Atleti no. should have won. It, it's a it's a game that Correa and Griezmann started up front. Um, he kind of went with his his three five two or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they, they had chances. They, they had chances. And he, he took Koke off, which was understandable after the R mark for Rodrigo de Paul. Morata came on for Lamar. Lamar was probably the, the surprise, um, or one of the, the su- surprise selections. Um, he didn't start with, with Axel Witzel. He didn't start with, with Carrasco. And he didn't start with Alvaro Morata in that game. They had the chances, not as many as they had in their final group game. But it's a game they should have won. But I always felt they were vulnerable at the other end. Yeah. And I never got that feeling a few years ago with Atleti. You never kinda you never saw them concede basic chances on a number of occasions to, to the opposite. You would see it happen, especially against the better sides. But they just looked a bit more vulnerable than I've seen them in that game but it was a super experience it really was the only thing that was missing was a goal yeah uh, I saw all the goals Mark in the Leverkusen game the 2-2 yeah, with the, the that chaotic ending and, and no one on press road knew what was going on like 
we we all thought, right, that's full time. Players are starting to walk off. That's it. We need to head down to the press room now. You know, three floors, like in the very basement of the Metropolitano is where the press room is. Um, like no one knew what was going on. And then like finger to the ear, there's a there's a review. Hold hold everything. Don't pack up yet. And then Carrasco steps up, misses it. The rebound goes off the bar. Even for Atletico, that was just theater. Just it's just uh, every one of the things about following and writing about it and broadcasting on this this football club mark is you really do get as we talked about earlier in the show you really do get all the range of emotions in a very short span of time and that was what happened at the end of the Leverkusen game um and and what I saw that night was pretty similar to what you were talking about the atmosphere was was pretty electric I didn't get a set in the second half there was some tension uh from coming from the stand specifically the south stand which I had the clearest view of uh, because everyone knew that Porto had already won um, and that anything but a win would eliminate Atletico from the Champions League. So there was that that anxiety. There was some nerves, some tension in the crowd, and you, and you could feel it on the pitch. Atletico, more than many other clubs, uh, it, it's a club that really, and Simeone talks about this all the time, is that they rely on the fans. They rely on the vibes, for lack of a better word. They rely on all the external circumstances. If things aren't well no, in Tsukasa, if things aren't well at home, you know, and we, we've seen that this year, Atletico have really struggled at the Metropolitano, but they haven't struggled quite as much away from home. Um, you went to the Via Marin to cover Atletico's game against uh, Betis uh, just, just before that Leverkusen game. Tell me about your experience in Seville, if you could, Mark. Yeah, just before that, I, I thought it was important for me to to experience an Atleti game as a fan. Yeah. So we bought tickets for the game. Could have got press pass. Preferred to buy tickets and go in and be among the fans. I don't think the fans in the, certainly in the Bruges game could have done any more than they did. I thought they were absolutely outstanding. Mm. Um, <laughs> speaking of of loud fans, um, wait, wait, you spoke about Sue Casa. Right? When you go to someone's house. Uh, it's kind of manners not to shout and yell in their kitchen and <laughs> complain, complain that uh, that the paella is not hot enough. Um, but but when when Griezmann scores direct from a corner, you kind of get excited a little bit, and you you yeah. um, as you should. I don't get I don't care who. I mean, I might have a soft spot for Atleti simply because I do them long enough and often enough. But Betis against Atleti is about the experience for me, and we've been at Sevilla. We've done commentary of Sevilla against um, Valencia the previous Tuesday. And <laughs> we had seven added minutes at the end of the game and we had a penalty save in the 12th added minute. It was that type of game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, the sanchez Pizuan was, was a great experience. But I, I think that as a commentator, we probably kept the best to last as an experience. Be- Betty's going very well. Um, we commentated at um, Rayo Vallecano against Getafe, which was nice. It was different. Um, we commentated. We'd been to see Valencia against Elche. We'd also been to see Atleti at home against Club Bruges. We'd also commentated on Sevilla Valencia, and we had commentated on the Wednesday night as well. Um, and that was okay. Was, oh yeah, we went down to Cadiz, um, and that was against Betis as well. So. It was it was a good experience. It was a great experience at the Benito Via Marine. But when when Griezmann scored, we had, we have two security guards that travel everywhere with anybody who, who goes from ESPN overseas. If it's a group of, of kind of four or more, 
Um, it's, it's one security detail per four ESPN employees. We had eight going with us, including Mario Kempes, who the Argentinian legend yep. uh, won the, uh, the, the Golden Boot, won the World Cup in 1978. Uh, he was doing it in, in Spanish. We were doing it in English. So we had two security guards with us, and, and one decided to, to go for a bite, a bite to eat um, midway through the second half. Mm-hmm came back and said did I miss anything he kind of looked at him because we were still commentating he didn't kind of ask the question did I miss it you could see on his face it was like what, what, what happened what he didn't know was the several thousand people in the main stand weren't overly enamoured by a Scotsman yelling Griezmann <laughs> and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying they turned on us but let's just say my safety I'm a big lad I'm six foot four overweight but hey it's, it's tough life's tough right now um, I can handle myself probably against against one person. I, I don't know if I'd fancy myself maybe against a few thousand who were all really <laughs> angry at someone coming into their casa and shouting really loudly. So it wasn't until afterwards where the security guy was like, well, anything happened where I was away? Well, so, well, apart from the goal and, and all these mad Betty's fans wanting to um, to have a square goal with me. No, no, we were fine. No problem whatsoever. <laughs> didn't, didn't fear for our safety at all. And look, I'll, I'll be honest. I usually give every goal the the, the kind of the, the goal call that you do. I think it deserves. Yep. Um, I'm not saying I was as loud for the second goal. Uh, um, I, I just because it, it was two 0 that, that had nothing to do with me preserving my safety and knowing that my Spanish colleague alongside me for ESPN was going to go really loud as well. I was happy for them to focus on him for the second goal, and I would just. Um, yeah, along with my co-commentator, uh, co-commentator, we were uh, we were perfectly happy to describe Griezmann's second goal um, in not as loud tones as we described the first goal. <laughs> well, the first goal was was an Olympico. You don't see those very often. I mean, but I wasn't watching this game in English, Mark. I watched it at the James Joyce Irish Pub uh, in Madrid. Um, and I watched it in, in Spanish. I, I think it was the, the Movistar commentary. I mean, I, I imagine when Fakir's free kick went in, you, you gave it quite a belt. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, but they couldn't hear me because they were all shouting as well. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that doesn't help you. I, I love it how Joe Buck in his, his Twitter bio basically says something along the lines of, um, I, I, I hate every team yeah. or I... I'm actually going to go into his Twitter bio um, and find out his his exact. Uh, oh no, he's changed it to his. Oh, you you don't know me, but you can try my podcast. I don't want that. I want what you had before. <laughs> he, he, he used to read. I hate your team. Yeah, I hate your club. I hate your team. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, look. When I was when I was growing up in deepest darkest Edinburgh back in the 70s and 80s, uh, I had a distinct hatred of Betis, and it continued when I went to be Benito Villa. Come on now. <laughs> Don't be so stupid. It's a game. And if it had been the other way around and Betis had scored at Atleti... I, I have commentated at Ibrox and Celtic Park on the rare occasion when the away team has, has had the temerity to take the lead. If you think being or having a few thousand Betis fans unhappy with you is one thing, try being trapped when the gate comes down and you're in the gantry overhanging the main stand at Ibrox and you have nowhere to go until everyone is gone and someone scores against Rangers and you shout loudly that is something that I might need security detail from ESPN for but yeah, it is, it is what it is I don't hate any team um, I love my own team hearts 
I love doing La Liga. I love covering Atleti. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest, I, I don't want Simeone to go. Not just now. If, if they're seventh or eighth, if, if they if they go through that, what's what Valencia is going through right now, it's a different story. Yeah. But just be careful what you wish for. Yeah. He's done it before. I think he could do it again. But I think he needs to clean house, and he, he, they need to find a solution with Joel Felix. And if that means him going. I think it's sad because um, I think he's a, he's a very talented player. And I remember when he won the March Player of the Month award earlier this year before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. He was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant to watch. And they've got the Griezmann thing sorted out now with Barcelona and whatever. But there's there's still issues. Defensively, there's issues. And the best signing you've made this year is Renildo. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely brilliant. Play him as a, in a three, play him as a four. At left back, at centre, left centre back, whatever. Play him at left wing back. He, he's magnificent for three and a half million. I think you paid for him. Yeah, Julio, absolutely outstanding. They're not easy to find those type of signings, but I don't know. I don't watch them every week, and I, I, I'd be pissed off at, at watching some of the, the games of late. Um, that Mallorca defeat was horrible. Yeah, the they were horrible. Espanol wasn't good. The, the the Cadiz defeat away from home. I know what that's like, and, and uh, having commentated there, and the fans are on top of you. And when they went two 0 up to get back to two two, I mean, you think if there is going to be a winner, it's going to be Atleti. Then to lose that stupid goal to Sabrino late on, mm. but that's Atleti right now, and it's part of a roller coaster. And it I've is. never been on a roller coaster. I can get off halfway through. You sit down, you strap yourself in, you enjoy the good bits, and you hope that the bad bits don't last for too long. Speaking of the Joao Felix situation, Mark, what 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 is the solution there in your mind? It's been almost four years of Joao Felix and, and Diego Simeone together. Certainly, I think it's fair to say more downs than ups. Last season, it seemed like everything was coming together, right? He had that stretch of form between February and April that was just, mm-hmm. he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And he started the season with a hat-trick of assists against Hatafe, and then the same mm-hmm. issues crept up. He hasn't had injuries this year. He hasn't hurt. But there have been, it seems like a, a commitment problem. It, it seems like a, a pair of a pair of guys, Cholo and Joao, who just don't see eye to eye anymore. What What is the solution? I love an analogy. Some of my analogies are really daft. Here's maybe one of those daft analogies. Go for this it. This is like a 25-year marriage. Do you want to stay together? Or do you just want to give it up? Well, <laughs> marriage is a commitment. So, I'd be wanting to try and keep it together. I don't think it's it's on one more than it's on the other. I think it's on both. Um, I think if, if Simeone stays, unless both are willing to kind of let bygones be bygones, then I think Joao Felix has to go. But why have we reached that? You have a manager who's very capable. He's also very stubborn. Mm-hmm. So he plays the part of the husband in the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking from experience, he plays the part of me, the, the stubborn husband and the wife. Because we've been together 25 years as well, and I don't know why, how we're still together. Um, but but I'm, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. We, we have our high points, we have our low points. This relationship isn't something that, that has been going on as long. Um, Jean-Felix costs a lot of money, and I thought the first season, I thought he found it very difficult to live up to the hype. Um, to live up to the price tag. It wasn't his fault. I mean, you pay... You pay it's like Harry Maguire, an 80 million defender. Mm-hmm. I'd pay 80 million for Harry Maguire, maybe in Turkish Lira back in the day, but it certainly wouldn't be in dollars or in or in pounds. But it's not his fault. He didn't decide what his transfer fee was, and neither did Joel Felix. Right. So when you see 
what Joao Felix was able to offer you when he won the March Player of the Month. And he was brilliant. I mean, single-handedly at times could win games for you. That is, is, is someone that, that shouldn't be stuck on a bench for 90 minutes at home to Club Bruges when you need a goal. And the, the, I think it was that game where someone told them to go warm up mm-hmm. and then someone from the technical area of Atleti kind of signalled over and Joao Felix thought they were signalling over to him. It was his time to come on and it wasn't. It was the person behind him. I can't remember who, who that was. It was Rodrigo de Paul or, or whoever who was also on the bench that yeah, night. I think it was Vitsa. And then when the final... Yeah, and then when the final change was made, it was just kind of... So you don't know. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors in a marriage. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors at Atleti's training ground and, and who says what. The problem is, when you buy someone for as much as they did and you pay them the wage that someone who's on that um, that transfer fee requires, it's very difficult to find a suitor. And this is like Ronaldo. Yep. Ronaldo's going to it's going to be very difficult for him to you live within your means in life you don't go and spend however much on something if you don't have it or you can't afford it so when you live within your means in, in, in life and you you live the lifestyle of someone that was a 120 million dollar player or like Joao Felix was um, football and career is short enough so with someone like him he signed that long term deal so he's, he's not going to move Unless someone comes in for one, he's happy with that. So why have an unhappy player on your books? Can something be done to fix it? I don't know. I don't know. And you know what football's like, Jeremy, in that if, if a, a team goes through a prolonged period of a bad form, usually it's the manager that gets fired. You never mm-hmm. see players get fired. Right. So with Joao Felix, from the outside looking in, sort it out. I just, I'd, I'd put, honestly, I'd put them in a room. For as long as it takes, and I'd lock them in a room, and I wouldn't give either of them the key, and I'd say, you can come out when you've sorted it out. Now, that might mean that Simeone decides, hey, if I'm here long term, you're not. That might mean, you know what Simeone's saying? Yeah, okay, right, I'll, I'll give a little bit, and I'll take a little bit. And it might mean the same for as well. I feel like, I don't know, I don't know. A manager's got to have ultimate control over a football club. And Eric Ten Hag has, has got the issue with Ronaldo, slightly different scenario. But for, for Joao Felix, you've got a talented, talented kid. And you're not making the most out of him right now. You're not getting the best out of him right now. So what should you do with him? Well, I, I think Simeone has to swallow some pride mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of say, look, let's make this work. Let's give it one last chance. But for whatever reason, he's in the doghouse. Joao Felix, even if it go back to the marriage, even if it's a sly little apology, but you don't necessarily mean it as the husband or the wife, but it, it just keeps harmony flowing. Just just whatever it takes. It depends what he wants. Because if he's unhappy, get out of there. Yeah. There's no point in, in, in keeping an unhappy player. But from the outsider, and, and my perspective looking at this, I'd love to see it sorted out. I don't think it will be, though. And if they get what they're looking for in January, I think he's probably off scheme. Uh, reports in the Spanish media this morning uh, said no offers have come in for Joao yet, which isn't a surprise. The World Cup has just started. It, it, I guess it depends on how well Joao does in Qatar, what kind of playing time he gets. Uh, he's not Fernando Santos' favorite in the Portuguese national team. We'll see if that changes in this World Cup. Well, do, Jeremy, does that tell us more about the player then? If he's not Fernando Santos' favorite, if he's, you know, if maybe he's not Jamie favorite, is this, yeah. has he got too big for his boots after that transfer fee? 
and, and after because, the period of form he had last season, something that I thought about, Mark, was that if a player is really that good and worth 120 million euro in the transfer market, wouldn't he be showing it under any coach, even one as defensive, quote unquote, as Diego Simeone? Going back to him not deciding how much he's worth, yeah. someone else decided how much he's worth. Yeah. Atleti thought, okay, we will pay him and get him over from Portugal, um, and and that was that was a millstone around his neck. It was it was very difficult for him at first. I watched the England game earlier today and I watched Jude Bellingham just first of all produce a master class yeah. and then in his interview afterwards I kind of thought wow this this kid's a superstar he's, he's got everything and then you're reminded he's, he's not even turned 20 yet mm. so there's different people different players have different time scales that they take to, to mature some never do. It's not a bad thing. We can be a daft lad forever. It's just part of your your personality. Some youngsters are, are, are very mature. Joao Felix has got to decide what he wants out of his career because he's a kid who could have the world at his feet. But when you stand still with all the talent that he's got, you could easily be overtaken. And people, teams that, that might want to be calling Atleti and say, well, how much for... for Joel Felix might move on. He might say, you know what? His form hasn't really played much. It's a gamble and it's a risk. So he's got to use this opportunity of playing at the World Cup um, to make people remember and remind people what he's capable of. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't do that, then he's got to do it when he comes back. Because if he doesn't, give me someone who's in form or someone who's up and coming or, or whatever rather than someone who had a good month because he won the player of the month in Spain in March but has hardly kicked the ball since after those three assists in the opening game yep. it's up to him that's the, that's the bottom line and you know what if he doesn't grasp that Simeone is well within his rights to say to hell with him let's move on I think that's a pretty eminently reasonable take on the situation Mark uh Taking a, a wider angle view of Atletico's season so far, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the Cadiz game, the Espanyol game, the Mallorca game, which was truly awful viewing. Um, after the World Cup, what do you think we can expect from Atletico? Is their top three or top four place really in that much peril? What's the future going to hold for them? Excuse the French, but there's a saying in, in journalism... Um, and that saying is believable bullshit. You say something with enough aplomb or something like that, you can make people believe anything to, to, to an extent. If I sat here and told you that I knew what was going to happen in the second half of the season with Atletico Madrid, there would have to be a hell of a lot of believable bullshit in there sprinkled with some pixie dust to make you um, believe what I'm saying. The bottom line is I have no idea and there is not one person in this world that can honestly say that they know what is going to happen with Atletico Madrid when the season recommences. Um, got a Copa del Rey tie. Um, that's the first one. That'll probably be the, the, the kids or the reserves or the sprinkling of those that didn't go to the World Cup um, to get through in that one. But then when it starts again against Elche, who knows? And if, the, if ever there was a game that they have to get three points, knowing fine well that Barcelona are next up mm -hmm. after Elche, it's that game. But this is how I would sum up Atleti this season. If Atleti draws it home to Elche, would it be the biggest surprise given that they lost at Cadiz and lost at Mallorca? No, it wouldn't. But it also wouldn't be the biggest surprise if Atleti then went and beat Barcelona next time out. Because that's, that's Atleti. 
they're they're so unpredictable right now. They're they're very difficult to to gauge. I wouldn't have put any money on them winning at Betis. Betis had won every single home game in yep. the league prior to the Colchoneros going there. And what did they do? Atleti, they won 2-1. And I think they deserved that victory as well. I think they, they strangled the life out of them. Now, we were in Spain when Atleti won at Athletic Club on the Saturday night. We'd, we'd been at um, Valencia Elche that day. We got the train back to Madrid. We were in a bar, a tapas bar. We watched Athletic Club taking on Atleti. And there was something about that game and the way it went that when Griezmann scored two minutes into the second half, the co-commentator I was sitting with, I said to him, that's it, game over. Mm -hmm. He's blowing the final whistle now. He's like, there's still 43 minutes to go. I said, no. Atleti wins this 1-0. If this is old school Atleti, they win this 1-0. Now, this isn't, uh, I, I told you so. It's something you'd seen before. Yep. And Atleti did win at 1-0 because they weren't at the Metropolitano where they'd, they, they had a lot of pressure three days beforehand against Club Rouge. They played with a bit of freedom. And it was like, OK, we know what we're doing now. We're 1-0 up. We've, we got this. And then at home to Vallecano the next time out against Rio, you lose that stupid late goal to Falcao's penalty. Yep. But they, they still had a little bit of momentum. Then they go to Betis and, and they win. I still didn't think they would. I thought it was a tough game to, to predict. It wouldn't have surprised any result. Wouldn't have surprised me in that game. But that was the kind of okay. We're, we're in a we're in a, got a bit of momentum right now. Beating Girona, drew a Bruges, albeit clean sheet, didn't win but didn't lose. Won at Athletic Club, stupidly drawing at home against Rio, but again not losing. Winning in Betis or winning in Sevilla against Betis. Then that crazy game against um, against Bayer Leverkusen. And then they hit the skids, losing at Cadiz and Porto, and then the draw at home to Espanyol, the defeat at Mallorca. So, long story short, that you wanted a sentence, and I've given you a novel. <laughs> I, 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 I have no idea with with Atleti for the rest of the season. But you know what? As a as a commentator, I really enjoy the, the being on the ride with them when I get assigned their games because they're so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And and you do get that assignment rather frequently, which I'm grateful for because I do enjoy your commentary. Um, I was going to ask you earlier. I just slipped my mind. Did you ever get the chance to go to the uh, the Calderon? <laughs> my team Hearts played there, 1993. Oh my gosh, they did, didn't they? They did. Oh um, wow. That was a game I I hadn't. I started in media in 1995, so I was a Hearts fan. So I was there at the the home leg. I think the away leg was televised live in in, in Scotland. Um, we we travelled there with a fair bit of hope. Um, we were two 0 up in the first leg until Roman Kosecki scored, um, and then just got thumped at the Vicente Calderon. Um, the the following week or whenever it was, I mean that that, that was it. Manolo played, um, mm. Luis Garcia, the Mexican, played Kosecki, Piri Mori. That was that team. Mosier, Kiko, Juanma on the bench. They they had a good side there. My first Spanish match I did on site was in 1998 at the old Mallorca Stadium. Uh, was that the Luis Sichar? Um, I think that might have been um, back in in 19. 1998 and that was a year Mallorca reached the final of the Cup Winners Cup and we'd lost 1-0 at home against Hector Cooper's side um, went over there drew 1-1 nearly went through and away goals but missed a chance late on 
and there was just something about commentating in Spain back then. Um, I never thought at all that one day that would be what I do, and I'm lucky enough to, to kind of call uh, my work and, and, and make a living out of it. But I, I just, I love the passion that Spanish football fans have. I love the Cadiz fans because it's a one-town team. And it, Betis, Sevilla, two big clubs as a rivalry. Atleti, Real Madrid, the two biggest teams in, in Madrid, the rivalry as well. I, I just loved it. I never did the, the, the old stadium, and I'm glad I've done the new stadium. Um, I just I just wish that the, the fans had a bit more to cheer about. I think we all do. <laughs> At least, uh, I, from from our perspective, we all we all do. Uh, but I, I was curious about that. I unfortunately never never got the chance to go to the Calderon, but I've heard from people who went there that the atmosphere was not necessarily better or worse, but just completely different. Because the Calderon was this older stadium, like right alongside the river. A brewery was right next to it. And you know, for reference, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Metropolitano is pretty much clear on the other side of the city. It's near the airport. They had to install brand new metro links there, which I rode. They had to install all new transport links there when they opened the stadium five years ago. Uh, there's really not much else around the Metropolitano except the stadium uh, and a few pop-up bars that are open on, on game days. I had a Cali Mocho at one uh, before the Leverkusen game, but there's really not much to speak of or write home about other than the Civitas Metropolitano, which is a huge, hulking stadium, you know, 15,000 seats more than the Calderon. But yeah, I, I was curious if you had had both of those experiences and, and could kind of compare and contrast them. I mean, obviously you have only commentated at the Metropolitano, but you, you've had the opportunity to go to both, and that's pretty mm-hmm. neat, you know? Just, just with, with American Stadia. Um, yeah. Give me old school any day. Yeah, I, I, I love shiny new things. Don't get me wrong, but if you've sat and been one of the first into Fenway when the gates open and just looked around, and we were lucky enough to have done a couple of games there as well, mm-hmm. there's an atmosphere inside an empty stadium. You, you can't you can't get that in new stadiums. You can get that in old stadiums because of all the history, and and that's what makes it so special. So I'm a traditionalist at heart. Again, I'd rather have the old school stadium over the, the, the brand new one. Like, the Metropolitano serves uh, one heck of a purpose. It's, it's bigger. Um, I think when everyone's making a yelp and a noise like they were against Leverkusen or Bruges, it can be nearly worth, well, I was going to say, it can be worth a goal of a star. In some instances, it, it can be. But you, you want your place to be somewhere that the opposition can fear. Yeah. You want them hanging up their, their kit on a, a sugarly peg in the away dressing room that smells of mould and all sorts. <laughs> of course. And you don't want them feeling at home. And Metropolitano, like all the new stadia, magnificent, great. But I don't think there's the same fear factor about these new bowls and the outskirts of town as you would get if you were playing in the, the old stadiums like the Vicente Calderon and others. Yeah, teams would come to the Calderon and, and they would they would feel that fear. I mean, I could just I could tell through my television screen they were feeling that fear, Mark. At the Metropolitano, I don't quite get that same sense. But it's a newer stadium. There's plenty of time for its own history to be written. But yeah, just the the comparison between those those two stadiums is very different. I don't think I have anything else to cover, Mark. Anything else you'd like to add? This has been a, a wonderful show, and I cannot thank you enough for for taking the time out today. Anything else you'd like to say? 
No, just, just memories. Stick stick behind your team, and, and we live in a society right now whereby it, it's it's such an immediate society, and and if something goes wrong, our first instinct, whether we're fantasy football managers, whether we're club chairman, or whatever we are, let's change things. Let's get rid. And if anybody, obviously, this being a, an athletic podcast, but for the United States, I would imagine a lot of your listeners play fantasy football. How many mm-hmm. times have you got rid of someone because they've 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 had a, a bad week? Um, Brett Maher, the Dallas kicker, got rid of him. Oh, I'm going to get Graham Gano. He's on the waiver wire. Graham Gano got me minus two points yesterday. For the <laughs> right, because he missed he missed two two tricky extra points in, in crazy wind. Um, that that was um, that was at the Meadowlands. Meanwhile, Brett Maher probably scores more points on his own than than some star wide receiver. Just have patience. Have patience with Simeone. Um, yeah, it's about the end of the season. The end of the season, and and, and, and unless it's a shit show, uh, unless it, it ends up tenth, eleventh, you don't have a choice. It's, we've got to change manager or something like that. If you're still contesting, if you're still challenging for Champions League on the off season, if you're still challenging for the title, just just be careful what you wish for when 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 you want someone to go. It might be a tough time, but look at all the seasons that he's had since taking over from Gregorio Manzano when things haven't been going right. There's been that kind of aim, that hope that Atleti can can do something again. And they got that taste in 2014 when they won the title the season after they won the Copa del Rey for the first time since 1996. You're thinking, yes, fine. But then you haven't won anything since then in the Copa del Rey and it was seven years before you won another title this isn't a league that you're up against Whole Foods, Fresh Market and Price Chopper or whoever some supermarket teams that are just patsies this is a league that you're up against Barcelona and Real Madrid, two of the biggest teams in the world, Mm -hmm. you have already shown under Simeone that not only have you beaten them once, but you've beaten them twice in 2014 and 2021. You have bested them. You have been better than them. You know what? If it takes another six or seven years for that to happen again, but you're competitive in the meantime, I think that's good enough. Just be careful what you wish for. If you end up 9th, 10th, 11th, I think the decision is made for you, and I think Simeone would probably fall on his sword. But if that doesn't happen and you continue to be a top-four side that could be better... I'd be pretty happy with that, and I'm not even an Atleti fan. <laughs> Enjoy the ride, right? That's that's what we should be doing, right? Strap in. <laughs> yeah, you can't go off this ride. You're in it for life. It's never dull, right? Nope. Never, never a dull moment with this club, Mark, as, as you well know. Mark Donaldson, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Donaldson ESPN, and you can hear him practically every week on ESPN's coverage of La Liga here in North America. I cannot thank you enough for hopping on the show today. Really appreciate it. No problem, Jeremy. Thank you, and good luck with the uh, with the site, with the podcast, and and with the team for for the rest of the season um, ahead and going forward as well. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Into the Calderon. I'm at JB Barron, and you can also uh, get access to exclusive bonus content on Patreon.com/slash Chat from as little as three dollars a month, including instant analysis and, and other bonus programming it's a lot of fun stuff that i try to do over there uh we will be back uh we'll have content throughout the the world cup weeks here uh in cutter but in in the meantime thank you again for listening and adios